Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A tremendous documentary. And we'll, we'll, we'll start. And everything is in Ali's own words at the time that the events were occurring in his life. Those were interviews taken at the time. So it's perfect. It's just a perfect documentary. Why do you think they made this? I mean, didn't they, haven't they made enough documentaries about Muhammad Ali? Why this one? Well, just because it's his one, own work? This one, this one is different than all the other documentaries because all the other documentaries had narrations and narratives and other people speaking. This was just him in his own words. And I think the main reason it was done was because LeBron James, the biggest sports idol of his life, is Muhammad Ali. And this was a project for him. He's the executive producer. He wanted to do something on Ali. Ali's his idol. And LeBron is one of the few athletes of the last 40 years to speak out politically against injustices against people of color. And this is LeBron James' homage to Muhammad Ali. And he went and got the legendary director, Antoine Fuqua, to direct this. And, I mean, the the picking of this footage, there's footage here in this documentary that's, that's never been seen before. The only time this was seen was at the time it was aired first on television. A lot of this footage. I mean, a lot of this footage I had never seen before. And I have one of the biggest video collections of Ali's career. I've got almost every one of his fights and all the documentaries. So I I watch this and I'm like, wow, this is just tremendous. And you're right. There's there's not there's not another athlete in the history of the world who's had as many documentaries done on him than Muhammad Ali. And this is right and but this is I mean it's a perfect documentary and quite possibly the top of the food chain. And people, especially older people, people over the age of 50 like myself, can never get enough of Muhammad Ali. And this is just tremendous, tremendous. And um, this was a four-hour, two-part documentary. They had footage that could have went 10, 11 hours. I mean, they could have done, uh, <laughs> like, right. remember we did the two-part, when we did the two-part Ali retrospective a few years back, and we said that we could have easily kept talking about this forever in a day. So there's just so much done. His public persona from 1960 to his death in 2016, we're talking 56 years in the public spotlight. You just can imagine the, the amount of stuff you could write, talk, and show about this man. So, I mean, yeah, I could never get never enough get. about Muhammad Ali, especially if it's done correctly and this so, is a perfect documentary. So what you're saying is that you could actually do like a mini series, like on HBO or something that goes through his they whole life. E- yeah, they could have easily done. I mean, this was a two part documentary. They could have easily that, done a nine, ten part documentary. 
it, no, what I'm saying is like if they do a live action, they could do a live action of his life. Oh, you know, from if they were to do if they were to do a series on the life, which I'm surprised no one has pitched right. a series, a dramatic series on the life of Muhammad Ali. That show could go on for two or three generations. Because yeah. we're talking, you could start from when he was 12 years old in 1953 when he first started boxing, when he got his bike, when he got his bike stolen. Oh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna mute for a second. I'll be right back. My girlfriend is calling. You can keep talking. Okay. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well. He's already getting into what we're going to cover in this documentary because it covers that, talking about when um, his bike was stolen, that changed the world. That was in one event that if a time traveler were to come back and change right, I'm something. Back, I'm, yeah. I'm back, big man. Go ahead. What you, go well, ahead. what I was saying was that if a time traveler were to come back and really wanted to change the world, all he'd have to do is keep uh, his bike from being stolen way back when. So then he maybe oh, never become a boxer. So, and not only that, you who what's this? And we'll, there's a part of this documentary where he's talking about how you guys are worried about what I do, what I say, what I say. If I was just a regular, if I was never heavyweight champion, if I never became a boxer, if if, if, I, if I was, no one would be interested in me going to Vietnam. I would, if I would die, I'd just be another black statistic. Perfect yeah. example of what you just mentioned. If they go back and his bike, his bike's never stolen. He never becomes a boxer. Period. And <laughs> you know, right. if you you know th- that old saying, if you turn a different corner, if you go this yeah. block instead of that block, your life will change. That's a perfect example. His, his his bike gets stolen, and he goes to the police precinct, and he happens to 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 argue his case to a police officer who's actually an ex-boxer and trained kids talk about oh talk about right. coincidental fate and that yeah. fate it was meant to be and that's what started his his life in boxing and and from there on so if you start with that and go up until the till his funeral that this is a series that could last forever because we're talking right there 63 years of of of, of a lifetime 63 of his 70 Four years, seventy-five years on Earth. He died in seventy-five. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he. People think of him as like dying young, even sometimes. So I'm like, no, nah, he died old. <laughs> he was he, he was muted young. He was muted young. He was yeah. muted young. He, you couldn't hear him. He couldn't speak as a young man. But I mean, he, even as a man of a man that was muted, and uh, we've talked about this in his in, in his retrospective, and I've written about this. On geekthe101.com, even when he was muted, his his presence was incredible. He went and he freed American hostages from Iraq when he could barely talk. He sat down with Saddam Hussein, the evil Saddam Hussein, because he was Muhammad Ali and a Muslim brother. Saddam Hussein said, "Okay, Ali, because I respect you, I'm right. going to release these prisoners on your behalf." Nobody, what other fucking athlete in the history of the planet could do this shit? Nobody. No, nobody. And they wouldn't even—they weren't, were yeah. they, they weren't interested in doing it. Yeah, they weren't interested. They would never be. No, no, no. It, it would be like, oh no, uh, I got to worry about my commercial endorsement. This is a man who, in 1967, in his prime, at 25 years old, gave up his world title because he refused to go into the army and fight an unjust war. 
I mean, nobody does that other than Colin Kaepernick in the history of sports. What other athlete has given up his life for that? That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, I guess, because we're already touching on stuff that the documentary touches on. So we'll just start up with this uh, thing because it's long because we got the two parts to review here. So what's yeah, my name? Ahead. Of course, harkens back to uh, his famous fight uh, where he, I mean, in, in many cases, people didn't want to call him uh, Muhammad Ali, so they he always had to fight for that name. Uh, but the majority of the press, from the minute he changed his name to when he came back from his exile, the majority of the white press in the United States of America called him Cassius Clay. Right. They didn't they call him Muhammad Ali. Oh, Howard Cosell was the first journalist and media personality to call him by his name. And they asked how well, Howard, why are you calling Clay Ali? He said, I'm calling him because that's what he wants to be called. That's what he wants to be called. Giving him so respect. Him. I and think, you know what's and Cosell was like Cosell was like, I changed my name as a young man. I don't expect you to call me by my real name. Call me by the name that I chose. My name is Howard Cosell. So I called Muhammad Ali. Muhammad uh, Ali. So he had a story because he changed yeah, his name. Yeah, because a lot of Jewish people in, in, in that came over from Israel or were born Jewish or wherever they came from. Right. They, they, hide, they wanted their to hide name, Jews. They, they Americanized their name or they dropped a few uh, 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 vowels or letters in their name to make it easier for them to adjust. So Cosell could relate to that with, with Ali. He understood why right. he uh, and so he respected that, and I, and I give shout outs to Howard Cosell, who was who, who was probably the greatest sports journalist in the broadcast in the history of sports. I mean, he championed Ali from the beginning to the end, and I mean, I give much but respect he was, to him. He was no ball hugger, but, though. I was saying he was no, no ball hugger. Called, of you'll, Ali. You'll, see, you'll see in this documentary he. He would call he Ali calls him out, out when he had to. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. He's like, he's like, why you got to say that about the man? He fought a great yeah. fight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so we'll talk. So it opens up with the Frazier fight. Uh, I think it's is the second Frazier or the first? Um, this is the, the very that, first fight. Now, yeah. that, that's, they, they're just, that's just a prelude to the documentary right. because both parts start with that. But this is just right. showing the night of the 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 big the biggest fight in the history of, uh, of boxing and the biggest event in the history of sports. Period. There has been no bigger event in the history of mankind when it comes to professional sports than the first Ali Frazier fight, March eighth, nineteen seventy one, in Madison Square Garden, because it pitted two undefeated heavyweight champions of the world against each other. And, and you you can't it's it, a man coming from exile against the man who was that replaced him as champion while he was in exile. And, right. And we you can and we and you can hear all about us talk about this fight in both the Joe Frazier retrospective and the Muhammad Ali retrospective. But they begin both parts with that, and then in the first part, after they show a clip of both of them in the ring, then they go they go I believe to the Olympic Games when Ali's about right. to fight the Olympics. So when the I just want to say about this little opening here because it is so such a great moment and it shows you also 
that I think he knew when he changed his name, and that's kind of like the whole thing around this documentary is the idea that he did. He knew it would be the ultimate heel move too. You know, I mean, he he also believed it, but I think he understood how to play it up. So then he goes in the ring and he prays and everybody's booing at him. And like, he was like this tweener heel that like a lot of people cheered, but also a lot of people booed. And that was like a lot of, I, I, at this point in time, when, when he changed his name in 1964, he was probably considered the biggest bad guy in the United States. I mean, other than Malcolm right. X and Martin Luther King, he was up there. He was top three. And yeah. what all three of them shared, they're all political and all black men. And so right. they cannot believe that this black man went and changed his name and, and aligned himself with the evil Malcolm X. And if you, I wasn't alive back then, but my father used to always tell me that the, what the white media would write about Malcolm X, if you didn't know better... You thought Malcolm X was a was was a, was was a, a, a serial a serial killer was this right. evil dude that had guns pointed at white people and the way right. they had, and so when Ali aligns himself with Malcolm X in the Nation of Islam oh my God the heavyweight title oh my God came <laughs> in the world is is this evil black man oh it was like away from him. it was like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> With the NWO, you know. What I mean? Yeah, it was like, <laughs> but in a, but in a very, oh my God, it's so yeah, in a real way. Said, and 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 it, people got to realize in 1964, the heavyweight championship of the world was the single biggest prize in professional sports. Nothing compared to it. Not the NFL wasn't as big as it, as it would become later right. on. The NBA was small, and Major League Baseball was the most popular sport in the country. But none of those guys could lay claim to the biggest prize being the heavyweight champion of the world. And so this is Ali, the heavyweight champion of the world. Now he's with Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam. Oh, my God. We got, it used to be we got to get the title off a black man and put it back on a white fighter. Let's get, let's get a good right. white hope. Once Ali became champion, it didn't matter if you were black or white. We got to get somebody to beat him. <laughs> right. And a lot of fighters would take that tack. Even Joe Lewis was like, you know, I went to the war. You know, I, I don't really yeah, speak for I him. And a lot of the older fighters and older athletes, Jackie Robinson and uh, Joe Lewis, and then you see this in his documentary, were anti-Ali because right. they served in the military. Uh, and I was really surprised at Jackie Robinson's um, uh, stance because when Jackie Robinson was in World War Two. He was a lieutenant. He was an officer, and he was told to sit in the back of the bus, and he refused because, according to the Army guidelines, officers, even black officers, were allowed to sit wherever they wanted to sit. They were supposed to follow segregationist rules, and he almost got – he was on trial. They tried to court-martial him, but he won because his lawyer proved you got to go by what the the, the 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 tenets of the U.S. Army state. This man's an officer; he can sit wherever he wants to. So, with right. Jackie Robinson, who fought the U.S. government, decided to go against Ali. That was, and my father, back, my father told me he was really embarrassed by Jackie's stance on Ali because 
Everybody in the black and Hispanic community that follows sports knew the Jackie Robinson story. This man was almost court-martialed. He was an officer in the U.S. Army. He was almost court-martialed for taking a stance. He's not sitting in the back of the bus. I'm, 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 and you, you got, a, you got a, a sergeant telling him to sit in the back of the bus, an MD, uh, MP, and they arrest him for this. Also, he was the first black player in baseball, and the, and the crap he had to go through, and he sees Ali's going through similar, if not worse, than what he was going through. And when you come to discrimination and hell that you had to go through, Jackie Robinson is probably the only athlete that went through more hell than Muhammad Ali because he was told not to say anything if they call him the N-word or do right. things at him when he first came into Major League Baseball. So I was – it just it, that really bothered me when I saw that quote, and it bothered well, a lot of people back I, then. I understood it because he's a soldier. You know, like he's like, look, I understand about all that, but when you, when your country calls you, you go. You know, like he just has that – rock bottom principle and that's why he was against Ali not that's I don't think I'm sure he sympathized with his uh but I treatment. think if he would if he would if he would have looked deeper than that it, it, it would have oh, been yeah, deeper yeah. than serving your country of course and of we're course. talking about an unjust war and oh, the yeah. man's religious beliefs I mean and Jackie himself went through I'm not and Joe Lewis might have been a different story because I always felt that Joe Lewis was coddled while Joe Lewis was a black man and he was not, and he was beloved by American people, especially uh, white Southerners, white racist Southerners, because he knocked out the evil Nazi, which he wasn't an evil Nazi. He was a pawn. Uh, Max Miller was a pawn of Hitler's, and all uh, and all that. But then again, it is the same man who wound up broke and destroyed right. because <laughs> the U.S. government. Took, I mean, they stole money from him. They talked about he owed taxes, and this man fought for his country, fought exhibitions that they taxed him on and said he owed money to, and he was also robbed by the man he beat for the heavyweight champion of the world, the so-called Cinderella man, James J. Braddock, where his, his, his manager uh, made him sign a contract where for the first 10 years, for 10 years after beating Braddock, after the Braddock fight, Braddock would get, I think something like twenty to 20, no ten percent of his uh, of his sharing, and so Braddock, yes, we talked about this before in the Joe in the Joe Lewis. Uh, oh like yeah, the, yes. man, that's yeah, yeah. So, I mean, every time I hear about it, it's like what? It, it, it really pisses it. me the hell off. It really and, and that and, and, and they 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 go show. So when I hear about when you see Joe Lewis. And and, Jack, and Jackie Robinson talk about Ali like that. It, it it really bothers me because of the hell they went through. And yeah, the one guy they never they, the one guy that did support Ali was Ali's idol, Sugar Ray Robinson, who served in World War Two with both Jackie Robinson and Joe Lewis. And he respected and he told the press, "I respect Ali's views as 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 a former military man. I understand where he's coming from." And he said nothing disparaging against Muhammad Ali. All right. All right, let's get to the beginning here because we haven't even got to the beginning yet. Here, So uh, they go that flashback to the fight, but then they go all the way back to um, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and he's being interviewed as a young man. And he's talking about his great-great-grandfather was a slave. 
and uh, he doesn't really know too much about his the origin of his name, and he's going to have to look it up because people keep asking him. Um, he's uh, and uh, his mom's telling a story about when he was 18 months old. He was throwing his fists around, and he knocked her tooth out with it. Uh, and he was always a big kid, she said. Um, and uh, he he watched Marciano. He liked Marciano. He he was fascinated by the concept of the, um, the the heavyweight champion being able to whoop anyone's ass. So, and we hear all this through interviews that he's given people and uh, through his own voice. Um, and then he was he wins his first Golden Gloves in 1960. Um, he then he goes um, to the uh, in the finals the he, Roma, he fights the, Gary the Roma, Janish. The, Oh, you're talking about the Golden Gloves. Okay, yeah, that was right before the Olympics, right. Okay. Right, then he goes into the uh, Olympic trials. He wins, He knocks out Alan Hudson, and then he's in. He's the first amateur um, uh, lightweight champion in uh, 1960, and uh, he goes to um, – this is when he goes – he fights uh, – Pietrakowski, is that who he fights for the Olympics? That that was the, that was the 1960 light heavyweight finals for the for the gold medal. Yeah, and uh, he he actually was like not doing too well at least comparatively. He lost he lost he lost the first round. He won yeah. rounds two and three convincingly to win the gold medal, but he did lose the yeah. first round uh, because he was a softball. He was fighting a softball, and Ali wasn't familiar with softballs. And but he figured him out like great fighters do, and pulled out the decision to win the gold medal. Yeah, so this guy was just like a natural at boxing, and he also was trained very well. I mean, where, where would you say like was he just Joe a natural? Martin, Joe Martin, Joe Martin took a naturally gifted athlete and molded him into a very good fighter. Yeah, uh, so he said he was talking about how he. He heard all this great fanfare. It was like, dun, 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 America, the flag. And he's like, but then I had to, like, leave a restaurant because I couldn't get served when I got home. And he was like, how's this? I just whooped, you know, everybody's ass for America, and I can't even get served in a restaurant in uh, downtown, uh, what is it, Mississippi? Downtown Louisville, his hometown, Kentucky. Yeah, oh, yeah, Louisville, Kentucky. And, and now, when he great comment, great comment he made. He meant. He went to the restaurant. He's the gold medal winner. He's in his hometown, Louisville, Kentucky. He tells him he wants a cheeseburger and a Coke. And the the the, the, the waitress goes, well, we don't serve eggs here. And he goes, well, I don't eat them either. <laughs> right. Something, he's and like, that's something the was wrong. And, and, and in real life, they didn't mention this in the documentary. After that happened, he went through his gold medal to the river. Wow, they didn't show that. Yeah, they didn't. Um, they so, didn't show. I guess. I I guess he, maybe he never mentioned it in an interview. But I mean, no, but, it was in his life. So it wasn't his autobiography. And the, and there's been several. Although it's the one he wrote and the great one that Thomas Hauser wrote back in '91 both mentioned how after this occurred, he went straight to the Mississippi River in Louisville, Kentucky, and threw his gold medal to the river. So his gold medal is still there, technically. Well, they the U.S. the International Olympic Committee sent him a replacement. Prior to I know, him, but the original is probably there. 
If somebody would have no found it, they would have sold it already. We would have heard about it. Imagine That's what I'm saying. If you found that gold medal, imagine how much money you get for that gold medal. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. It's still there. We got to find that thing. That's, All right, so. That's, <laughs> hey, right? Scuba Divers out in the Mississippi. Go to that yeah. bridge in Louisville, Kentucky, and dive down there and see if you can find that shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the if you water, can bring a metal the detector. Water probably pres- the water has probably preserved it in its pristine condition. <laughs> yeah, it's probably black now, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so he goes, uh, so this guy, uh, Bill Farsham, talk about this guy. Who is this guy? He's talking about him. You talking about the Louisville uh, businessman? Yeah, he's like, I want a meeting with Ali. Uh, and but anyway, he ends up after when, when, no, when Ali came back from. Matter of fact, he um he was with these people when he threw the the the, the gold medal into the river. Muhammad Ali met with the seven to ten. I forgot the number, but the 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 the, the richest men in Louisville, the the kings of Louisville, they they, they got together and they sponsored Ali career they gave him a weekly salary and they went and got angelo dundee to train him and these okay. guys invested all these money they were like the bill caton bill caton being uh mike tyson's first manager that was they were like the bill caton to uh, of of ali's career they okay they sure so that he, bill... they, they they got him a whole they they took they they, they took they, they they took care of him and they managed his money they put it in a, a trust fund, and so they protected Ali. They, 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 they these are the. Okay, so I mean, how many fighters guys, can get this type? How many fighters could get that? Athletes, period, could 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 get that type of support from the richest men in their city. The only other uh, fighter that I remember doing that was Sugar Ray Leonard, when a guy from his hometown, Mike Trainer, who was one of the owners of the Baltimore Orioles became his advisor, not his manager, his advisor, and took less than nothing to financially take care of his money and to negotiate his contracts. Shigori Leonard got that from being a fan of Ali. So that was very innovative, Logan. That had never happened in sports before, where the richest men in in your hometown got together, managed you, managed your money, and made sure you were taken care of from the beginning of your career. Right, yeah. So this Bill Faversham, I guess one of the money guys, he's like... He was one of the money guys, yes. We gave him $400 a week and 50% of the gate, which, I mean... Think about this. 50% of the gate in... That's a lot. Whatever fight he fought, that's a lot. And $400 a week in 1960, he's not even... This is besides his prize money. Right. Prize money is fifty percent of the gate. He's getting four hundred dollars a week as a salary, just to train and keep his mind on boxing. He had nothing to worry about, but making sure he stayed in shape to fight. Four hundred dollars a yep. week. A lot of fighters don't they make have any money between fights. Yeah. yeah, they have to. They'd have to have a side job besides boxing. Ali right. didn't have to worry about that. These guys made sure they they saw. I know this was an opportunity. I mean, it did, did for 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 them as well. I mean, it, it's four hundred dollars a week for these guys ain't nothing. But you know, it keeps it's uh, it's it, uh, it's a benefit to them because they're taking care of a prized possession from their hometown, and so it works right. both ways. The fight, the fighter Ali, and the businessman 
all make it make money. And that that that's it's rare to hear that. I don't not too many times I've heard something like that. Uh, but that was the first time I ever heard something like that. And I mean, I mean, Ali benefited from it. Fifty percent of the gate. Wow! And all his fights in Louisville, Kentucky, were sellouts because he he cashes clay at the time. He's the hometown hero. So if the gate was ten thousand dollars, he's getting five thousand. Wow! 1960, 61, 62. That's a ton of money. Yeah, it is. So he gets uh, he gets Dundee. He calls Dundee up, cold calls him basically, and talks to him for like three hours, talking about, "Look, I'm the greatest fighter." He, he at first Dundee thought it was like some prank call, but then he he kind of liked the guy right away, and he t- invited him to Florida to start uh, training. Um, uh, they they talking about they call the Cubans down in Florida call him the Boca Grande because he pretends to speak la, la, Spanish because he's always because he was always talking and he was always talking shit yeah yeah <laughs> and he was like and basically he was uh, Dundee's like he was like no other fighter his quickness his reflexes uh, he was he had a he he was 19 year olds when he had his uh, pro debut um, and he he's then we talk, he goes back to his voice and he's like, I was wondering like in church, why is everyone white? You know, the black, there's where are the black angels, <laughs> like, where are they? And he's like, you know, I used to joke that they're in the kitchen, like cooking for all the white people. But uh, and he talks about every depiction of black is evil. Black male, uh, angel yep. cake is white. Devil cake is black, is brown. Uh, and, and he just he just kind of questions that, and then he also talks about how he was very influenced by Gorgeous George, and and because pe- you know I don't think had any boxer really incorporated like pro wrestling into boxing before Muhammad Ali, in terms of the no. promos. Yeah, no. Ali Ali was the first major athlete outside of professional wrestling. We're talking baseball, football, boxing, basketball. He was the first athlete, the first pro athlete, the first mainstream athlete to trash talk, to do these promos. And he got that for wrestling. He was a big wrestling fan. He would attend right. the cause of Jim Cornette, probably the second biggest sports figure ever to come out of Louisville after Muhammad Ali. Jim Cornette used to talk about this, how Ali would go to the Louisville Garden every month to see the matches and that's where he got that promo style from watching the rest. And I think it was a combination of both Gorgeous George and Fred Blassie. Not just Gorgeous George, but Gorgeous George and Fred Blassie. Um, because they were the right. biggest shit talkers of that time. He combined those two and put it in his act. And it worked because Ali, anybody that, that knows him in this documentary, he points that out, always had the gift of gab. Now that he, now that he saw this and he utilized it, it made him even more marketable when he began the prediction where he would do a poem about what round you he would knock you out. And <laughs> for, for like 10 or 11 straight fights, the predictions came true. Straight fights. Oh, my God. This guy was just so <laughs> great, man. And he would just get up there and talk about he's the greatest. And, like, it, no one had ever seen anything like it. They were like, who is this guy I think he is? A lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people got, you know, even Howard Cosell, you could tell, like, he didn't like the cockiness. He thought it was overblown, but maybe he didn't realize, like, it was all an act. It was just, uh, 
it was partly an act. I mean, it was an extension of his own personality, but it was I an think extension of his personality because he was in real life. He was more person. humble. In real life, he was very. This is a man, and we talked about this before. This is a man that if he walked through the streets of Harlem, nobody got and he would talk to every. And you see this throughout the documentary, Logan. How many times in the documentary they show him pick up a black child and yeah. hug it like he was his own? That he was a man of the people. You don't see even LeBron James is, the, is one of the greatest athletes of all time. He doesn't go anywhere without a slew of bodyguards. It's understandable. I don't blame him. But this is Muhammad Ali. Hey, you ever seen Tiger Woods pick up a child other than his own? No. This is Muhammad Ali. Will go through with no bodyguards, whether it was Africa or the United States, and he would be mobbed by children, and he would talk and hug each and every one of them. He was a man of the people. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, uh, so when he goes to, uh, he's fighting Doug Jones now in this part of the documentary. Which was his, which and was his, which was his toughest fight, a fight that we talked about in his retrospective. He barely beat Jones. He had to win the last three rounds to eke out the decision. By winning that fight, he gets a chance to fight Sonny Liston for the heavyweight championship of the world. Yeah, and he he's like, if Joe if if Doug Jones beats me, I'll crawl over to the other side of the ring and yeah. kiss his feet. So like he uh, he puts a lot of shit on himself. So he has to pump through, and uh, you know this one was a squeaker for him. So yeah, the whole cast is. Um, he's uh, he's talking about how everyone hates him. And how like they're they're he's hearing them at ringside knock out that uh, uh, n word out. Big mouth. He, he yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, yeah. he's just like, it's fine to boo me, just pay the ticket, you know. Like it's all I care about because I'm getting half the gate or more now. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's like, I'm the king, man. They have to knock me off. So he goes against Henry Cooper. He's booed in the ring. And he says, I like to be booed, you know, like, I don't care, you know, like, it doesn't bother him. Um, and this is where Henry Cooper, like, li- you know, lit him up with a left. And almost, he had to, almost, like, almost the biggest upset in heavyweight history that night. Cooper lands a left hook from hell. And Ali goes down right as the – and Ali got up, which is – I mean, right. that, it's just, Amazing. He got up, but he was woozy. And the bell rings to save him. And – he comes they had out to give him uh, smelling salt. I mean, you saw and them give him the he comes smelling out, salt. And he comes out the next round, and he beats the shit out of Cooper. Yeah. I mean, he almost killed Cooper with all the blood that was streaming down Cooper's face. They had to stop the fight. He chopped him up. Uh, when Ali was vicious, especially his young age, he was as vicious as Mike Tyson, as George Foreman ever was, as this documentary will point out. He could really put a hurting on you. If motivated, and, and he was yeah. embarrassed by that knockdown. And in the following round, he beat the shit. And he's lucky because British fans, especially white British fans, are known to riot. I mean, he beat the hell out of Henry Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, is he? It looks like he's working on a record. Uh, the gang's all here, he, and then he was very close with one of the greatest. R&B soul singers of all time, Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke was real good friends with Ali. And if you if you notice, they don't touch on Sam Cooke, but Ali lost a lot of friends in the 1960s to murder. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and Sam Cooke were all very close confidants and friends of Muhammad Ali. And all three of these men were murdered young, young, 
Malcolm X and, and Martin Luther King were in their thirties. Sam Cooke, I don't even know if Sam Cooke was thirty yet. Sam Cooke was a was, was superstar, young. They were all murdered. They were all killed by guns, and that really had to have shaken up Ali. And him and Sam Cooke, and Ali had a nice singing voice, not a great singing voice, but he could carry a note. And um, he even recorded a song called "Stand By Me." He did a good. He did a good. Uh, he did a good rendition of it. I mean, it wasn't as good as Baby King's, but, I mean, it was good. Well, anyway, he, he he came out with a record called I Am the Greatest, right? I mean, so yeah. uh, is that record still available to buy? Which is which is, which is is really a, a pre-hip-hop record. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's doing more rapping and singing. This is 1963, 64. Poetry. Which, yeah. yeah this you could is, say he's the original hey, rapper. He, yeah, he is the original rapper, and a lot of a lot of rappers pay homage to Muhammad Ali and say that he was the originator of hip hop because he would always do poetry and rhyme. And, and all the and the self aggrandizement, yeah. like all the hip hop, yeah, basically yeah, saying lot, that I'm yeah, the greatest. Yeah, exactly, exactly. As you would know, being a hip hop artist yourself, so there's, I mean, there's no hip hop without Muhammad Ali if you think about it. Yeah. Like you can't be. I mean, there'd probably be a different flavor to it, but like the the self promotion that is hip hop. That's all it is. It's yeah, ninety like percent of it. When they're not telling stories, they're telling about how great they are, and so that's the way to go. It's 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 one of those things that I think was very threatening, as Malcolm X pointed out, that you know this guy who's telling black men that they're the opposite of what they're being told by society is very threatening to the white man. You know, like, they don't want motivated... Muhammad Ali was the first black figure other than Malcolm X. But first black pop culture figure, Malcolm X was a political figure, athlete or whatever, that was proud to be black, that professed the the, the pride in being black. He professed pride in being black. You didn't hear that before. You never heard Joe Lewis or Jackie Robinson or Jack... I think Jack Johnson hated the fact that he was black because he dated nothing but white women. Then mm-hmm. Ali went out there and he's like, I'm black, I'm proud, I'm black and I'm proud. Well, well, James Brown would do a song later on, I'm black and I'm proud. That's like Ali's autobiography. He he was like, he had the Afro. If you notice, Logan, back in the 50s and 60s, a lot of the black athletes, including Sugar Ray Robinson, would process their hair, make it straighter. Right. Not Ali. Ali's wearing an Afro. He's proud right. to wear the afro. Yeah, I mean that. Even Malcolm X processed his hair. So there you go. You see this guy. Something that Malcolm X never did. He never went and wore his afro the way Ali did. Ali was the first black star to totally embrace his blackness and brag about it. He bragged about being man. Yeah, I'm black. I'm yeah. black, baby. I'm black. I'll kick your ass because I'm a black. I'm a black motherfucker. I'm a bad. Black right. And, and he calling. <laughs> Eddie, you know, Doug Jones, fucking uh, Uncle Tom, and, you know, start with that shit, too. So then he gets to, we get to the fight where, well, at this point, he's such a big figure that he refuses to fight anybody for under a million dollars. At that time, that was a bold thing to say. He remember, uh, remember, Logan, he's the number one contender for the heavyweight title. The heavyweight title of the world is big money, so... He's not, he, and he knows his self-worth because he's putting right. asses and seats out. Sonny Liston is killing everybody, but Sonny Liston is not selling tickets because people are right. not buying to see a fight last 30 seconds. 
because everybody right. listed is killing everybody. He knocked out Floyd Patterson two times in a row in the first round. No, everyone knew Patterson had no shot in the world. So people not buying tickets. Ali so what? Talk, now people people think that Listen is going to do the same thing to the Ali, but Ali's talking all this shit that people are like. You know what? I gotta I gotta buy tickets to see Listen put this guy in the hospital. So what's the story though? Why was there no competition for Listen? Was he that great? Or was it just Listen like... Listen was the Mike Tyson, George Foreman of his era. Both okay. Listen and Foreman, I mean, both Foreman and Tyson have stated that Sonny Listen was their inspiration. They idolized this man. He was a murderous puncher with a great left jab, hammers in both hands. He hits you, he puts you to sleep. He was knocking everybody out. And Floyd Patterson's manager, Customano, the same man that molded Mike Tyson, kept Patterson away from Liston for years, for years, because he knew he had no shot in the world. He put Floyd Patterson in. He, he put Floyd Patterson with a guy who had never, who in his first professional fight, he, Pete Radamacher got a world title shot in his first professional fight because Customano knew that guy had no shot at beating Patterson, but he kept Patterson away from Sonny Liston until finally the governing body said, if you don't fight Sonny Liston, you get stripped. And so. That first time they fought, he was put in the hospital. He was knocked out in the first round. Second time they fought, knocked out in the first round. And so, Liston going into his fight with Ali was a huge favorite because they saw him decimate Floyd Patterson twice. What they failed to realize was that Muhammad Ali was no Floyd Patterson. <laughs> <laughs> and, but he was, I mean, I guess he was likened to him a little bit in terms of his style, but but yeah, because he, because both him and Patterson were quick. They were fast with fast right. hands. But Ali was a different. Patterson was more of a brawler. Uh, was a was a boxer puncher. But Patterson didn't box a lot. Patterson to beat you had to knock you out. He wasn't knocking. Listen, Al Listen was the bigger guy. Ali was his fleet foot boxer who relied on his legs and movement and his jab. Something that Listen hadn't seen in years. That never no one ever seen the likes of Ali. So people right. thought. Oh, this is Big Mouth. All right, he's quick, but the minute he gets hit by Liston, it's over. I remember my father yeah. telling me. I'm not born at this time. I wasn't born until 68. My father, he followed Ali since Ali came. He won a lot of money. He bet a lot of people on Ali because he knew Ali had the style to beat Liston because Liston did not ever fight or ever saw somebody like Ali. And he told everybody, well, at the time he was catching Clay that Clay was going to beat Liston. And from the very and Dundee knew, Dundee said he knew Ali was going to win because he told Ali at the, at the weigh-in, look Liston in the face. You're taller than him. You're bigger than him. Look him in the face. Look him in the face. You're bigger than this guy. All right, he's got all this muscle, but you're taller than him. Liston had never fought anybody as big as Ali or as fat. Ali was a combination of being bigger than him, taller than him, and being quicker than him. And as you saw from the clips of the fight, a fight that we also reviewed through an Ali perspective, Liston looked like a man in cement while Ali was hitting him at will. It's amazing. So, but as I loved his promos before. He's just like, I don't think I could beat him. I know I could beat him. In a, in, a, in a heavyweight in the world on two feet can whoop me. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I love that. Really... I love that quote. Yeah. So he's like, I got 122 amateur fights. If he even dreamed fights. of beating me, he better wake up and. <laughs> I love it. I'm 100. I got 122 amateur fights, 
20 professional fights, and I'm pretty as a girl. So, <laughs> I love and you that. Know, it's crazy. So, you know, think about this, Logan. Even after the beatings he took late in his career, when he retired, his face was unmarked. He didn't have the, no, the, the broken nose that most boxers had. Ali, when he retired, even after the beatings that he suffered to Larry Holmes and Trevor Bourbon, his face, and, and even though he had the debilitating Parkinson's syndrome, his face was unmarked. Yeah, he, he looked like he didn't break his nose. I know um, it didn't look like anything had to happen to him. You would know if you met Ali in real life. You would have known he was a boxer because he didn't have the the, the scar tissue, the 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 the, the bent nose that a Thomas Hearns or a Shane Mosley had later on in their career. You would have thought, oh man, uh, that's a well dressed black man. He he must be in finance or something. <laughs> so. Uh, so Sonny uh, Liston, I don't, I don't think, I think he predicted that it wouldn't go past four rounds. Um, yes. And uh, and and you have him, you have Ali going like, or not? This is Cassius Clay at the time. If you if you like to lose your money, be a fool and bet on Sonny. So um, and uh, yeah, this is where he was there with Sugar Ray in a. He looked like he was singing there. He's like, we're two pretty damsels. Who's, who's Sugar Ray? Sugar Ray Robinson. His idol. Oh, that's right. Sh- <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I, his, I wrote it down. Not, I was like, is this Ali, Sugar Ray Robinson? Ali, Ali, when Ali, when Ali became known, he hired Sugar Ray Robinson to be an advisor and, and to go with him. And Sugar Ray Robinson at this point in time was down on his luck financially. He was towards the end of his career. He was fighting because he was broke. And Ali idolized Sugar Ray Robinson and went ahead and paid him just to be in Ali's camp. Gave him a salary. Okay. So, um, and he's like, yeah, nobody thinks Clay can win. And he's like, I'm going to show them all. And he's like, I'm going to fight. And so then he goes to this fight and he fucking... Beats the shit out of Sonny, man. Just like he, he. I mean, I you've never seen a fight of eyes or in the fifth round. He, oh my god, he fought. He fucked up, Sonny. Listen, he both of Listen's eyes were closing, and after the third round, Listen's trainers got desperate, and they put they put some type of uh, some type of uh, I don't know what you call it. Some, on his gloves and Liston rubbed it in Ali's eye and Ali couldn't see for a whole round and even that round he couldn't see Ali's running to try to, to run it Liston is missing because Liston had gotten beat so badly that he wasn't the same going into that round because he had taken so much punishment the minute Ali's eyes cleared up in the fifth and sixth round he battered Liston battered him with those com- those combinations oh those combinations has that been a heavyweight fighter since that landed combinations like that. And listen, claim he had a bad shoulder after the sixth round. He knew he had no shot in hell. He quit like a bitch. He was the original no mop, right? Well, in his shoulder, my ass. He got his he's ass smart. When he couldn't win by cheating, he quit. So then you have the crowd like cheering for Clay. Uh, they stop it in the corner, uh, and he's and this is where you get the famous. I shook up the world. Yeah, I'm so great, and uh, the bear couldn't touch me. And then you see Malcolm X, who was actually sitting in the uh, 
seat he seven. Sat next to Ali's, he was sitting next to Ali's wife in the, I believe, the seventh row doing that fight. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, I was with him nine days, you know, before the the fight. And uh, he talks about how he, you know, is they ask him if he's Muslim. He's like, well, he does believe in the tenets of Islam. So that makes him a Muslim. And then you see Elijah Muhammad speaking and talking about how they wanted him to get beat up, but God had other plans. And then he gave him, that's who gives him his name, Muhammad Ali. And uh, that's where Malcolm X here talks about how Muhammad Ali is a threat because he's inspired black pride. And this kind of makes him also, when he does this, like I said, it's like a heel turn for him. Like a lot of people did not like him turning over to black Muslims. And especially since the FBI had named them as like, a, almost like a terrorist group. No, they named uh, them a terrorist group and the most dangerous threat to American, um, to, to, uh, ridiculous. To, uh, yeah. To uh, American, America um, security. To America, the dangerous threat to America, the dangerous, the, the most dangerous national security threat to, to America at that point. Yeah. In time. Whatever. Come on. Give yeah. me a break. Um, so, Ali's talking about how um, everyone's uh, constantly attacking him for it, but he doesn't care. Uh, and he's like, and, and people are like, oh, people are going to, uh, they say people are going to try to come after you and assassinate you. And he's like, I don't believe it. He's like, I don't think that's true. And it's interesting. No one really did try to assassinate him, really. I mean, and it's funny. He talks about, he talks about, why are you telling talk in why are you why are you telling me this? Why aren't you trying to stop the people that are coming after you <laughs> instead of asking me where where, what, where what am I, I think about dinner? It. What, what what am I eating for dinner? Who cares? All right? If you right. think there's people after me, why don't you stop these people? We'll stop them. <laughs> and so he yeah, they're asking what he's gonna talk about with Elijah Muhammad. He's just like I'm what I learn love something. about the what I love about the Ali of the sixties and seventies is that he would take questions. These dumbass. He would answer these dumbass questions that the media would give him, and make the whoever. Get, and I, remember, Ali was just a high school graduate. These are college-educated men giving them these right. nonsensical questions, and he would make them look foolish and stupid with his answers. With his foolish, huh? Are you telling? Me? <laughs> <laughs> I just loved it. I've never. I mean, it's rare. I mean, it's rare to see that. This is a man. This is a black man who just has a high school degree, and you have these guys with masters and bachelor degrees. These great writers give them these dumbass questions, and he just throws it in their face with an with an answer that they can't retort. Yeah, and he and he's young here, and he's still he's already talking he's about. He's only 22, 23 years old. You're right. He's 22, 23 years old, and you got these 50, 55 year old newspaper men. Giving them these questions, they, they see, because back then, white journalists were used to dealing with these ignorant black athletes. They could tell them anything, and uh, oh, I guess you're right, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 so, I guess yeah, I should be humble. <laughs> so yeah, he so he's he's. Uh, he, He's saying, like, you know, I might even stop fighting now. So he's already teasing retiring at this early age. And they're like, at your age? And he's like, yeah. He's like, uh, you know, I, I don't really care about fighting. Fight, You know, like, I care about fighting for freedom. And they're like, if you stop fighting, uh, you know, what do you think you'll do? And he's just like, you know, just helping people. He's like, I was born 
for everything I'm doing right now, you know? So he considers himself like a major force in the world at this point. And he's which he, which he, so which, young. Which he was. He was. Which he was. Right. He, re- he, he realizes that. And that's also from his spiritual teachings. That's also from the, his advisor, Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad, telling him that there's a bigger purpose for him than boxing, which right. you saw after Ali retired. Even when he was a mutant, he couldn't talk. The things he, he did, did a lot. The things yeah. he did. He did a lot. I mean, talking a man off of killing himself, going to countries, feeding, feeding poor countries, going to freeing, freeing hostages. The stuff he did after he could talk about. Yes, boxing was the avenue for him to do great things. So he says. Um, uh, so he goes to Africa. And uh, I guess at the encouragement of uh, Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, uh, to get back. This is the, Logan, this is the first of, I believe he visited Africa 30 to 40 times through his lifetime. This was the very first time. I mean, no athlete has traveled the world more than Muhammad Ali. And it was always poor countries, never. I mean, he's not going to a rich country to hang out. He's not, he he goes if he if he went to Germany, which he did, it was to fight, not not to talk with the people, not to deal with the people. And when he got off the plane, everybody ran and they knew him. That's why Ali is the single most recognizable face in the history of pop culture, other than right. Jesus Christ. Because while Elvis Presley was an icon, today if you go to Kenya or Nigeria. And you ask an eight-year-old black child a show a picture of Elvis Presley, they look at you like, "Who the fuck is that dude with the straight hair?" But then when they show a picture of Muhammad Ali, they go, "Oh, Ali, Ali, Ali!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's such a legend. Uh, yeah. it, it, it really wakes him up to the black predicament. He's like, "This isn't our homeland. We were brought as slaves." You know, there's no like, you know, they're saying we're we're Negro, like, but there's no Negro land. He's like, I what, guess that's Africa. What's a country called Negro? Yeah. I, yeah. I, to this day, where did it get that word? I always wonder where did it get the word Negro from? I never understood well, that. Well, it means black. It, it's it's like Negro, yeah, but, you know, mean, in I, Spanish. I know Negro. I guess it's a Latin term for black, but God. Right. Man, think about that's it. What yeah. It is. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's what it is. Right. Yeah. Negro. So, Negro. but yeah. it's. It's uh, talking to uh, he's talking to a congregation of Muslims. He's, he he receives some statue of a mosque, and um, then we see that uh, Malcolm X had a falling out with uh, Elijah Muhammad. We talked about this when we did the Malcolm X thing. Uh, he they and that led to his death. Uh, he was shot and at a rally, and they actually even this documentary they show his body in the casket which is pretty yes i had yes. never seen that I, um, I had never seen that footage before yeah it's pretty fucking spooky and then uh we see ali getting booed uh versus sonny liston uh part two uh and he says he had a cracked rib here um so at this point he's really a heel like a lot of people more people dislike him than like him right Without a doubt, it's not even close. Yeah. The, the black community loved him, but that's right. only twelve percent of the United States. The rest of yeah. America hated him. So Liston was the hero here, and he was going to come back and avenge his loss, which he uh, if they he would, didn't if do. If they would have fought, if they would have fought a thousand times, Ali knocks him out a thousand times. Now in this fight, I believe Liston 
knew he wasn't going to win, and the first opportunity he got, he was going quick. He went down yeah, he did a right hand. It was a, Bruce. He, he, he did a Bruce Selvin. He did a right, Bruce, Bruce Selvin. He sat on the canvas for 20 seconds, and the referee was too busy telling Ali to get back to the corner because Ali was branching around. And then when he got back up, he just, he just covers up. He's not even trying to fight. He knew he had no shot in the world against Ali. And, and another thing that uh, Liston's people talked about years later after Liston died was that Sonny Liston was, A, afraid of Ali because of the way Ali beat him the first time, and, B, scared shitless of the Nation of Islam that he thought he was going to get killed that night because a month prior to this fight, Malcolm, Malcolm X had been murdered. And right. Sonny Liston felt, well, if they kill their own, what would they do to me if I if, if, if I had a chance of beating Ali? He had no chance of beating Ali, but he, he was shit scared going into that fight. Yeah, I and mean, by the a way, lot of people... One thing I want to mention before you continue, the fight had been... They had to change venues. The fight was put in a small town of Lewiston, Maine, because after Malcolm X was murdered, nobody wanted to fight because of fear of what might happen, because they thought Malcolm's people were going to come after Ali and assassinate Ali inside the ring. Assassinate Ali or assassinate... Uh, Ali. Uh, Ali, because... Why, um, why Ali? Had a, because Malcolm uh, X had a fallout oh. with the Nation of Islam, and Ali was the Nation of Islam's biggest star, highest-profile uh. person, even more high-profile than Elijah Muhammad at the time. But that, that wouldn't have been something Malcolm X would approve of. I mean, he's not... Oh, it was they, too late. It, Malcolm it, X was dead. Malcolm X people right. wanted revenge. It didn't matter. But so they, but they never targeted Ali, right? I mean, in real that life. Was, that's what the FBI said. I don't know if okay. that's true because Ali came and nothing happened. Nothing happened. Right. He knocked out Listed, and he went on and continued his career. So uh, people still to this day say that you know uh, Listen took a dive. He probably just decided not to get up, right? I mean, he, um, he did a Bruce Selden. He said, "Man, fuck yeah. this. Let me get my paycheck right. and go." <laughs> yeah. So Vietnam comes on. Uh, it's uh, he's going up against uh, Patterson, who claims he's going to take the title back for America. Uh, at this point, Muhammad Ali is twenty-two and zero, um, and he talks about that. You know, we don't believe in uh, war, and so we shouldn't be. He's drafted, and he's resisting the draft, saying that. You know, we don't believe that we should be forced to fight a war we don't believe in, and we should be exempt from fighting for religious reasons. And um, and then he goes on about how he makes so much money that he pays for like fifty soldiers. He's like, "What the fuck are they doing drafting me?" I mean, it was an well, interesting think argument. About, think, think about this: in his two fights with Sonny Liston, he made a million dollars for both fights. The government's yeah. taking half, right? That's right. helping fund the war. He's got a right. point. Yeah. And, well, I, do you think he was targeted with the draft, like almost from inside? Yes. Like they were like, there, yes, okay. yes. There's documents. Is you, you could look at anybody out there listening could look it up. When Ali took, so you have to take a test for the draft. You have to take a test. He took a test and he was re, re, he was ruled ineligible because he failed the test. But once he started talking about, no, once he aligned himself with the Nation of Islam and talked about, they want to get people ask him. What about the Vietnam War? And he had already said, the, the comment was, uh, I have no quarrel with the Viet Cong. They went and they modified it so he could be eligible to be drafted. He was originally oh. listed as being ineligible. So this was the government trying to get his ass. 
Yeah, man, they don't mention that in the documentary, but no, I mean, I mean, which I'm surprised because that's a that's a true fact. I'm surprised they didn't mention yeah. that. It seemed like way too convenient. Yeah, so you see but this uh, Esquire. Talk about that because they probably didn't have footage of Ali saying that. Or yeah, or you don't have this is Ali's proof. own words. This is Ali's own words. This isn't you know somebody narrating. Right. So he went to. Um, I mean, Joe Lewis uh, criticizes him. He's like, you know, when they called me to World War II, I went. So I can't really comment on it. Then you see him on the uh, uh, Esquire cover with a bunch of arrows and, you know, people hating on that's Ali. An, uh, that's an iconic, that's an iconic uh, uh, photo cover. cover. Iconic yeah. photo cover. And it's, it's, it's like him against the world. You see all those arrows being bounced off, being stuck to his uh, body. That's a great photo. Yeah, and then we get to the opponent that is the namesake of this. I mean, it spawns the name of this uh, documentary. Ernie, Ernie, Ernie Terrell. Yeah. yeah, and he's, he will not call him by Muhammad Ali. He refuses. He only will call him Cassius Clay, and he's like, that's the name you told me a few years ago. That's the name I'm going to call. And Muhammad Ali threatens him, and he says, listen, you're going to – you're going to Tell me my name now, or are you going to tell me my name in the ring when I beat the shit out of you? And that was, uh, I, I still think even after he got his ass beat, he didn't call him by Muhammad Ali. But uh, <laughs> he did get his ass whooped. Um, this, was, uh, this was Ali at his most vicious. He beat the living hell out of Ernie Terrell. He could have knocked out Ernie Terrell anytime he wanted to. He carried Terrell. And... Damaged right, he punished eye. him. Damaged his, damaged his eye. He beat him from pillar to post, and you know the the, the scene where he's screaming, "What's my name? What's my name?" That's right. after he landed a fuselage of combination. It it was a, it is you know the funny thing. There was two reasons why Ali was mad at Terrell. A, he refused to call him Ali, and B, Muhammad Ali had been stripped of the WBA title, and Terrell won the WBA title. Terrell was a WBA champion, and Ali was like, this guy's not the champion. I'm the champion. They took the <laughs> yeah, right. title away from me. So he's pissed off twofold. They took the title away. This guy's got my title, and then he's not calling me by my name. He, yeah. as you can see, Terrell wore an eye patch after the fight. He took a brutal beating. Ali carried him for 15 rounds. And Cosell did the commentary, and you can look this up on YouTube, fans. Uh, the week after the fight, Cosell had Ali in the ABC studios, and they watched the fight together. And Cosell was was ripping it to Ali. What you're, you're this is unsportsmanlike. Why are you doing this? I mean, he was really right. disgusted. And while he was announcing the fight that night, he says, "There are no words to describe the brutal beating that we are watching." <laughs> and he he chastised Ali. Ali, how can you do this to a fellow man? And Ali was like, I apologize for nothing. This man deserved it. And Cosell was like, no, he doesn't. He's a professional fighter. And you saw with Cosell's interview with Ali, Ali's ripping Terrell. And, and Cosell was like, no, 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 no. That's not right. This man's a fighter. This man, he deserves respect. Like we said, Cosell did mince words. He called it like he saw it. And even Ali, who was his favorite athlete, a man that they, they were kids in spirit. He called him out, and he called him out heavily on this Ernie Terrell situation. Yeah, on commentary during the fight is Joe Lewis, and this and and you have uh, Cosell going to Lewis saying like, "Is this really necessary?" Him like taunting him like that, 
And Joe Lewis is like, you know, I really can't tell him what he's going to do in the, in, in the ring. You know, like that's what, that's his choice. <laughs> like if he wants to taunt somebody <laughs> like that. So even, even Joe was giving him respect there. He was just like, look, man, I, that I, he can do what he wants in that ring. Like, you know what Joe Lewis was talking? You know what that was telling me? I'm so glad when I was heavyweight champion of the world, there was no, no, nobody like this when I was fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and and Rocky Marciano is looking at it too, and he's like, "I'm glad I didn't have to fight this motherfucker." Yeah, so, um, so this proves, and so then he gets in, he's fighting um, uh, Ernie Shavers, uh, and he he finishes fighting him, and he's like, "This proves he was a joke as a champion," and uh, he, he's like, uh. That's where Howard Cosell is like pissed off. He's like, you know, this guy fought a decent fight. Like, it's not nice to say that. He's like, I don't care what you think. And he's like, so the, yeah, they had they butt heads uh, him and Cosell, even though Cosell did champion him a lot. Uh, then we get to the um, the protest outside the White House. The hell no, we won't go. He refuses the draft. He gets he loses the title. Um, and he uh, meets uh, Martin Luther King for the first time. And uh, now, what I, I this wasn't the first time I saw this footage, but it's the first time I realized Ali, how tall was Martin Luther King? Is Ali towered over his head? <laughs> yeah, Martin Luther King wasn't a big he, guy. Yeah, I mean, yo, he towered over. You know, King is a big is a larger than life figure, one of the greatest. Men in the history of the planet I mean most revered And so when you think of, of Martin Luther King You think he's six feet Six foot one Because Malcolm X is tall Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali are uh, looking eye to eye Malcolm X is a tall person yeah. you see Malcolm Martin, X is six foot Martin, Martin's yeah, uh, five I seven Martin, Yeah five Martin's seven. gotta be five seven Five eight at the Because yeah. <laughs> Malcolm's like six one six two uh, Martin is short. I didn't. I never realized that. When I watched, it's like, wow, Martin was a short dude. See how the, how, how how greatness comes in all shapes and sizes. <laughs> yep. So he gets uh, he, he he gives some positive uh, you know a support for uh, the position that uh, Muhammad Ali has taken, uh, but then he gets shot, of course. Uh, so then we, before before we continue to the to the assassination, you see the comfort level that Ali has with these great men like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Right. He goes, "Oh, this is my brother." Ali is comfortable. How many athletes are comfortable with world leaders? Because these guys were world leaders. Martin Luther King yeah. was and, as and big very as educated. And, you, and look at and, and, and an educated man. He's like and and, and the interview asked Martin. Well, what do you think about Ali and his stance of Vietnam? I support it. I'm right. totally 100% behind Muhammad. He's calling him Ali because when Ali first changed his name, Martin was one of the guys who used to call him Clay. But he's calling him Ali. I mean, you, it's, right. it's the, the magnetism, the magnitude of Ali's of uh, Ali's legacy is cemented right here. Here he is with Martin Luther King. Martin Luther, they call each other brother, and they're standing each other. They're smiling. And and they're, but they're serious too. This man is standing with greats. No other athlete can say that ever. <laughs> right. So we see him. They 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 show him reciting some of his poem about how they came in chains as living loot. Uh, we see that he's uh, Jimmy Ellis. After he gets stripped, 
is being trained by his old trainer, right? Jimmy. Um, uh, but the, you know, Jimmy Ellis and Muhammad Ali were, grew up together. They were close friends. Ellis was Ali's sparring partner for years. Ellis was a protege of Ali. So Dundee was the trainer of both fighters. When Ali was exiled, Dundee is not going to stop training Ellis. He's got to make a living, right? right? Ellis, Ellis wins the, the tournament, and Dundee's his trainer. So he's at the University of Chicago, and he's, like, asking, who's the uh, who's the heavyweight champion? And they're all saying, it's you, buddy. And so then we see Frazier versus Ellis. Um, uh, there's a oh, protest outside Ellis. of Madison, Madison Square, Madison Matter Square fact, Garden. Today, 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 Logan, is the 50th anniversary of that knockout. Oh. The way, uh, what I wanted to say, uh, sh- a shout-out to Ring Magazine. Ring Magazine continued, even though Ali wasn't fighting. For the time Ali was exiled, Ring Magazine never stripped Ali of the World Heavyweight Championship, and he kept it until he lost to Frazier that night in Madison Square Garden. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah so Frazier, uh, you know, he's pretty confident that he could take Ali. Now, the question is, would he be able to take Ali if I, Ali hadn't had such a long layoff? We don't know, but probably not. Right? I, I think, I mean, but wait, Joe Frazier would have always given Ali trouble. I, I think that's a myth. Joe Frazier had one of the greatest chins in boxing history. He was just as quick as Ali. If you see the first fight, the fight we talked about all three fights. Frazier was able to get his. He was. He, Frazier would take five Ali's punches just to land his one punch. And Ali's kryptonite was always a left hook. If he, all the times Ali was knocked down, legitimately, not slips, has always been from a left hook. From Joe Frazier, from Henry Cooper. Every time he was dropped, it was from a left hook. And Frazier had one of the deadliest, if not the deadliest, left hook in the history of boxing. So Frazier would go to hell to get at Ali. So I, while I still think Ali would have beaten Frazier, it wouldn't have been easy. Uh, Frazier would have been Ali's toughest fight had they been together at the same time in the 60s, even if Ali didn't take those three years off. So Clay is right now, he had just won his first court case, but of course the government is going to appeal to the higher court. So he's still facing maybe five years in jail for evading the draft. Uh, but he's going into this fight uh, with um, with Quarry. Um, that's his first fight back. Um, There's something I, something I want to talk about. I'll bring this up. When he fought Jerry Quarry in 1970, his first fight back, October of 1970, in Atlanta, Georgia, Jerry Quarry was the number one rated heavyweight in the world. He was the number one ranked heavyweight. Ali, this is a man, Ali hasn't fought three and a half years, and his first fight back is against the number one rated contender in, in, in the heavyweight division. How many fighters do that? Usually when a fighter comes back, right. he fights a bum or two. When Mike Tyson came out of jail, he fought Peter McNeely. They found him in some Irish bar in Boston, right? Right. This motherfucker, he was a bum, right? Ali comes out of his exile, and he fights it, the number one contender and chops him up and bloodies him, and they stop the fight. Oh, he made him look like he was a bum. Like, I mean, you're just like, oh. But who's, Jerry Quarry was not a bum. But he wasn't. Jerry Quarry yeah. was not a No, Jerry Quarry was a very good fighter. Jerry Quarry well, yeah. knocked out Ernie Shavers in the first round. Jerry Quarry, if there was no Ali Foreman or Frazier <laughs> in the 1970s, Jerry Quarry would have been the first legit white heavyweight champion since 
American mm-hmm. white heavyweight champion since Rocky Marciano. He was that good. Right. Quarry was a very good fighter. Well, then he goes on. He he, uh, he beats uh, Bonavina, who basically uh, taunts him in the same way, calling him Cassius Clay. Yeah, but, uh, but that uh, was he was joking. Why you, you no go army? He was he was he was joking. You could tell the right. demeanor. There was no malice. That's why Ali was laughing because Ali could tell he was he was like no you coward you coward. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I, he, he he makes he was, it go he was, fifteen he was, rounds. He could I think he did the same thing to this Bo, guy. Bodavena at death. Bodavena was a tough fucking fighter, and Bodavena in his first fight with Joe Frazier knocked Frazier down twice. And a lot of people, including my father, thought Bonavena won that fight. Bonavena was a tough brawler from Argentina. You know these Argentinian fighters because we've done a lot of them on on this on this podcast. They are they got rugged chins and they keep coming. So the fact that Ali knocked him out is a testament to his greatness because Bonavena never touched the canvas until that 15th round when Ali dropped him three times. Yeah, so they they went uh, 15 rounds and. Uh... He knocks him out in the 15th. Last round. Ra- so uh, then he's, you know, this sets him up perfectly for his uh, fight with Frazier. Um, it was, uh, it, they talk about how Frazier uh, only filled up like 4,500 and 11,000 seat uh, auditorium in his last fight. And he's like, I get more when I'm training. <laughs> I get more people because coming. Frazier, even though Fra- Fra- even though Frazier is, the heavyweight champion of the world by the governing body. Right. People don't look at him as the heavyweight champion of the world. And right. he doesn't sell tickets like Ali. Ali sold out the stadium in Atlanta, the, the, the arena in Atlanta, and he sold out Madison Square Garden against Oscar Bonavena. Another thing I want to mention, Logan, remember I said Jerry Quarry was the number one contender? Bonavena yeah. had almost beaten Frazier. Bonavena was a tough fucking fighter, so he went and fought two tough fights before fighting Frazier. Usually, like Tyson Fury did, like Mike Tyson did, when a guy's coming back, he fights both, not Ali. He's fighting the toughest of the tough. And then finally, he gets his fight March 8, 1971. They come in the ring, and that's when the documentary part one ends. And we start right. off. Oh, no, actually, they show the entire fight. They show clips of the entire fight of part one in part one, and then it ends right before the decision. All right, so um, yeah, I mean, so the 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 Frazier, um, the trainer of Frazier is calling him Cassius Clay, uh, doing the disrespect thing. Um, he he uh, uh, he even says if Joe Frazier whips Ali, he'll be the greatest fighter that ever lived, and uh, and he's like, this will be like a child fighting a, a man. And March 8, 1971, we get the, the famous fight here. Uh, the first round uh, I gave to Frazier. Uh, the second round, Ali. Um, third, I mean, it looked like... Where did you... Where, take us through the rest of this fight. It's the 15 rounds, and I've watched this fight over 100 times. I've lost count of many times I've watched this fight. And I always come up with the same, same scorecard. I had the fight dead even going into the 15th round. Frazier knocks down Ali in the 15th round and wins the decision. I thought Frazier deserved the, the decision. Um, Ali played around a lot this fight. There was a lot of times where Ali like, was up against the ropes and 
eight, like he did the rope dope before the rope dope, which was stupid. Um, he said that the press kept taunting him to do that, and so he did it to just like fuck with them. That was he BS. Said one, that was BS. You know what? I think Ali got tired because he couldn't keep Frazier off him because the first five rounds, Ali is landing at will against Frazier. But Frazier's coming. Frazier's coming. And Frazier's relentless. And those body punches are wearing Ali down. This shows yeah. you the greatness of a body puncher. Frazier's body punches slowed Ali down. So late in the fight, Ali didn't have the same movement because of the body punching. And then the 15th round, the fight's on the line, and Frazier lands. Maybe the greatest left hook in the history of boxing, and Ali gets up before the referee starts counting. <laughs> What's crazy too is in at round thirteen, you see Ali kind of coming back a little bit. He's like well, getting the second win. Yeah, Ali won. Ali won one round thirteen and fourteen on my card to even it up, and in the fifteenth round, I thought he had it, but then again, the judges didn't have it that way. The judges right. gave all the close rounds. To Joe Frazier. One judge gave Joe Frazier 11 rounds. I don't know what the fuck he was watching. He must have been, uh, he must have hated our lead. He already had his scorecard written before the fight started. He had yeah. uh, Arthur McCanty, who was the referee, had the best scorecard. He had it eight rounds to six, one round even. I can't argue with that because I had to fight dead even. He had to fight 7 6 1 going into the 15th round, which is close to my scorecard. I mean, Arthur McCanty, the greatest referee of all time. So what we said, Logan, I wish they would go back to the referee being. One of the judges, because the referee has the best view. He's in front of the fighters. He's seeing everything. Why they stopped that practice, I do not understand. The referee, in my opinion, is the best judge because he's there. He's watching everything. He sees if something's being done illegal. He can take away from the guy being illegal and give the guy the round because the punch low was, in his opinion, illegal because he, he called it a warning. So, Arthur McCanty did the best job. I can't argue with scorecard. He had 8-6-1 Frazier. The other judge had a 9-6. And the other, the, the third judge had 11-4. There's no way in the world Joe Frazier won 11 rounds in that fight. What the fuck he was watching? Frazier took a severe beat. After the fight was over, Frazier went to the hospital. Ali didn't. Frazier right. almost died after that fight. Uh, he had internal bleeding. He took such a beating. Frazier was never the same after this fight, by the way. Well, I don't think Muhammad Ali was either. He said he got hit more times in this fight than last six fights. I think fights. he got hit more times in this fight than his entire career combined. Yeah. So uh, he got the unanimous decision, Frazier, and someone asked Ali, he's like, do you think it was their bias against your religion that swayed the judges? And he's like, yeah. (laughs) He's like, but next time I fight him, it's going to be easy. Uh, And uh, But then, yeah, that's where we go into part two. Um, And uh, we see about his his trainer uh, or his corner man, Drew Bundini Brown. Is talking about how he'll be back, and then you t- you hear in Muhammad Ali's own voice how all these hotels and nice places are too plush that he had to make a compound in in Pennsylvania for him to train in that was a little rougher, not even like really electricity there, uh, except for maybe one part of it. Uh, he's he's um, he, he, we we see his camp. And he has all these rocks around. He calls one of them Jack Johnson, another this. rock. I love this. I love this because he dedicates each section or each rock that he's running by to a former heavyweight champion of the world, Rocky Marciano, right. Joe Lewis, Jack Johnson. I love this. Deer Lake, Pennsylvania, and I love – I never knew this. I've been reading about Ali and following – I learned how to read 
as a five-year-old, my, my, my father would give me articles of Muhammad Ali from the newspaper. That's how my father told me how to read. So I've been, re- I've been reading about Ali for, since 1973 for 46 years. And this is the first time that I heard why he moved his training camp to Deer Lake, Pennsylvania. And it, and it makes sense being that who he was. He, he was a practicing Muslim, and he wanted natural food. He wanted to be in conditions where he wasn't being affected by toxic dumps and stuff. That was toxic waste. That was, I mean, great. I mean, footage that I had never seen before. Yeah, around this time, he wins his Supreme Court case. And he's finally acquitted of the charges of. They they say basically he had a right to. They they uh, overturned service. his conviction. They, right. they overturned his conviction. Yeah. So and he's talking about how he's going to get a fight. He's going to get his title from the new tramp, or the new champ. <laughs> and yeah, uh, tramp, yeah. <laughs> and he goes up against Jimmy Ellis and against his former trainer. Bill Dundee, uh, Dundee, not Bill Dundee. Uh, the only fight in Ali's career that Dundee was not in his corner. Right, right. And uh, he beats him. Then we see him fighting uh, Blinn, Chavalo, Quarry again, Patterson, um, Bob Foster, Joe Bugner. Uh, and then he's at 41-1, and one, and he goes up against Ken Norton, who's a monster at this point, uh, you know. You don't want to fuck with Ken in this part of his career, uh, but um, he he kind of played with. Yeah, but he was a fucking monster, right? I mean, yes, you don't want to yes. fuck with him. So uh, play he played with him a little bit in the beginning. Um, there's some questions already by the commentators whether Ali still got it. He looks a little slow. He gets his jaw broken in the first round, I think, right? And then second um, round. He got his jaw round. broken in the second round, and he fought 11 rounds with a broken jaw. Testament to his greatness, because he almost Great. won the fight. The fight was dead even going into the 12th round, and Ken Norton beat a Tyron Ali with a broken jaw to win a split decision. Man, they, they really show the fucking beating that Ali takes in this. Uh, and you see all the punches that are landing. I mean, I think they could have stopped this in some parts, uh, but Norton wins, uh, and uh, it's it's a decision. It's a unanimous decision, right? No, split, split decision. Oh, it's split. Okay, so it's actually cl- uh, closer than I thought. Uh, yeah, then I had, in, to fight, uh, I had to fight. I had to fight Eva going into the twelfth round, and Norton gave Ali a tremendous beating in the twelfth round to secure the victory, a very well earned and deserved victory for a guy that no one had heard of. This fight made his career. So at this point, Ali's forty-one and two. He's on the Dick Cavett show, and and uh, he's he, he seems to be okay. I mean, he just seems like they're they're. Um, he's like, what if what if uh, they told you you couldn't fight? He's like, would you cry? And he's like, no, I'd be rejoiced. You know, if I find out like, because I'd find out that you know before I killed myself, essentially kind of foreshadowing here. Um, then we see uh, Foreman versus Frazier. Frazier getting destroyed by Foreman uh, very easily. And what is this? It's just, just style make fights? It's style, it's style make fights. Joe Frazier is maybe 5'10", all right? George Foreman is 6'5". Right? George Foreman hits like 
like he has sledgehammers in both hands. But for him, in order for him to have a chance against Foreman, he's got to get inside. And for him to get inside, he's got to take the same type of punishment that Ali gave him. Now, he could take five shots from Ali. He can't take one shot from Foreman. Foreman knocks him down six times. He picks him up with an uppercut to the stomach. Picked him up with a shot. Yeah. I've never seen that before. I mean, he, that was a, we covered this in George Foreman's greatest performances. It was a very, they fight a thousand times. Frazier gets put in the hospital a thousand times. Frazier had no shot in the world because he's got a leap to land that left hook, but he's got to go through fire. And you're not getting through Foreman's fire like that. No, no. So Holmes Same meets. Thing Ken uh, Same thing with Ken Norton. Same thing with Ken Norton. Ken Norton. Did not have a great chin. Fighters like Holmes and Muhammad Ali held because they were boxers with not big punches. But when he bought when he fought big punches like George Foreman, like Ernie Shavers, he got destroyed because he couldn't get away with the same shit against those guys that he could get against guys that moved a lot. So Norton was a bad matchup, and Norton could have never beat George Foreman. George Foreman almost killed Ken Norton that night, destroyed him, yeah. knocked him out. Yeah. So this is where um, Ali he's um, he's training again, and he's actually his training. One of his main training guys is a young Larry Holmes, who uh, meets him for the first time at 21 years old, and gets asked he, to be his partner. He, he just discovered Larry Holmes. He gave Larry Holmes his first real paying job. When Larry Holmes first started fighting, he was making he was making what maybe fifty, a hundred dollars a fight. Ali, yeah. Gave, gave him a great deal, like I think maybe something like five to ten thousand dollars a week, just to be his sparring partner. And he helped develop Larry Holmes' style. Larry Holmes owes everything to Ali, and he always talks about how if it wasn't for Ali, there'd have never been a Larry Holmes. That's why when he beat the the, the stud Ali that night, he went to Ali's dressing room and cried with him. He cried because this was not only his idol, but the man that he owed his entire life to. Yeah. So then he gets to um, Norton fight Norton again. Ali does. Uh, it was a very close fight. Another squeaker to allow him to to for another Frazier fight. Me um, too. Uh, about uh, and Frazier has become a singer. Right. Yeah. This is some. This is something he did from <laughs> the early seventies until the early eighties. He was horrible. He was just horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ali's like, who told him he could sing? Anyway, so we see him on Dick Cavett. They're having a little slap fight there. They're promoing the fight. Uh, Show the foot. There was an incident in this lead-up, this build to the fight, where they were in the studio with Howard Cosell, and Ali called Frazier ignorant, and they got into a brawl. Ali thought he was joking, but Frazier was serious. They had to break it up. They didn't show that in this documentary. Right. Okay, so that was for this fight. So he did yeah. get kind of nasty. Um, yes, he did. As he always did. Um, so this fight, um, I saw the first round. It looks like Ali just was a different fighter than he was in the first fight. It, it just, Ali it was much won more... the second fight. Ali danced moves. And this was right. This was Ali fighting a much smarter fight than the first fight and winning a very convincing 12-round decision. He dominated this fight. Yeah. And uh, he, after this fight, he names one of the rocks 
in his compound, his training compound, uh, Frazier. Uh, then we see Foreman versus Norton, a guy who had given Ali a lot of trouble. Got destroyed. He he didn't <laughs> land a significant shot in this fight. This was a two round. He almost got killed. He came into the ring. He there was fear in his eyes. You talking about how they're gonna fight in Zaire? Um, this after Foreman beats Norton, that kind of sets up this fight in Zaire versus Foreman, uh, where this is where the the we you know I would refer all the listeners to go to the documentary. Uh, what's the name of that one? The one where it covers this? It's oh, when we were kings. When we were king, yeah. They should go and just put this on pause and then go watch that and then come back. Uh, yeah, because so that, that entire documentary is on that fight, and that right. documentary was so great that uh, it won an Oscar. Yeah, it was great. I think we reviewed it. Yeah, we um, did. We did. Yeah. And for, so Foreman had to go um, – he never had to go more than two rounds in the last four years before this fight. And, uh, and Ali kind of – I think in many ways got into his head by basically taunting him about how I'm your idol. Like I'm your master. Like you're the student. Like I'm going to teach you in this ring, like how it is. And just kind of got into his head that way. That was one way at least. And then just the whole spectacle of the whole thing being so pro uh, Ali anti Foreman. I think it got to him. Uh, It psyched him out. You know, and, 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 and if, up- if you ever hear if you ever hear George Foreman talk today, and in the last thirty years, he he admits that he was psyched out in that fight that Ali mentally got beat him, him before the fight started. Yeah, he yeah. got to him. He got to him, and he he, he talks. Uh, he says he makes no excuses. Ali beat him. Which Ali beat which him. he needed to do. I mean, like mm-hmm. face it, like if 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 he hadn't gotten him, I think Foreman would have knocked his shit out of him. Don't you think? Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt, because Ali was yeah. an older fighter. Ali got it to form his head, and he psyched him out. Right, and and he knew that he needed to do that. He knew he wasn't going to be able to beat him in the ring. He had to beat him before they got there, and then win. <laughs> and even <laughs> throughout the fight, even throughout the fight, Foreman was, was landing hellacious shots, and Ali whispered in his ear, "You punching like a bitch. Is that is that the best you could do?" Right, and he's like, "Come on, George." <laughs> he's like, "You're getting tired." Like now's not the time to get tired, you know. <laughs> but it was smart. It was a smart. He did the. That's where the rope of dope really came in, and people started seeing it. Like, wow, this guy can really do this shit. Like he got hit though, but it seemed like he he evaded a lot of punches with the rope of dope. Um, and, and a lot of the punches were on the arms. He even protected the right. body shots by getting hit on the elbows and the arms. Ali, that was probably the greatest defensive fight of Ali's career just by using the ropes because he used Foreman's aggression against him. And Foreman was not like Frazier or Norton or, or anybody else that Ali fought in the way he threw his punches. Foreman threw the punches from left field. He threw those wild right. winging shots, right? So Ali could see it coming and break and himself it. and block him, right? Whereas Foreman and Frazier were short of punches and was Foreman and, I mean, Norton and Frazier were short of punches. And it was he couldn't anticipate them. Foreman, he could see coming from a mile away. So when uh, he, I mean, it's just interesting though the way he's uh, going up against the rope here. What, what, had there ever been a boxer that had done something like fought in that no. fashion against the rope? No, no, no. Yeah. 
So it was, it, it, I think in many cases, a lot of judges would look at that and probably give the round to the other guy just because it looked like he's dominating, even though Ali's kind of like tiring yeah, him out. Yeah, because even though Ali is dominating him, Foreman's the aggressor and he's throwing a lot right. of punches. Yeah. So it looks better for the judges. But but still, I mean, what the whole strategy behind it is to get your opponent to to punch himself out, and then you just easily pick him off once he's tired, which and is you, what he did If you want to fight by the third round, Foreman's punches while he's throwing a lot, there's nothing behind him. Nothing You're right. behind him. So he wins that um, convincingly, knocks him out, sends Foreman uh, into a tailspin that he won't get out of until <laughs> the 80s. 1990, until, no, yeah, until he comes back to fighting in 1987. Yeah, so uh, they ask him if he'd like to be president, and it's kind of interesting because it sort of foreshadows the Obama presidency. He's like, he's like, mm-hmm. he gives this analogy of like a guy working in the dungeons of a ship. That's uh, a great and, analogy. I love this. I love this quote. Yes. Right, and he's like the guy. You know, after a while, I'm I'm a slave in the ship, and they they bring me up to meet the captain, and the captain wants me to like be like the second in command. And I'm thinking of him looking at like, is this sink? Is this ship sinking? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, America. And it's it's funny too because it's the same thing that happened to Obama. Like the country was basically sinking, and they throw yeah, the and, fucking and, thing to a black said, guy. He, but he said he, and he cleaned it up. Yep. Right. Like no one ever gives him that credit. They're like, dude, this country was about to destroy itself, and the motherfucker came in and cleaned it up. And they're like, mm-hmm. you know, they still give him shit for not changing everything. It's like, dude, he, shit was about to be gone. So he's talking about it in his time. Muhammad Ali's like, this country's fucked up right now. I would not want to be president uh, at this point. It's in too much trouble. Uh, so I don't want that job right now. So, uh, But he st- does really start taking on a lot of political causes and conducts himself much like a president would in these causes. Um we hear a poetry about the truth, how the truth has patience for those who wait, how the truth is simple, and that, um, you know, the, the only truth is that, you know, that you sow, that you reap what you sow. Um, he claims that the rope-a-dope will allow him to fight for many more years and extend his career. And at this point, Cabot, he's on the Cabot show, and he's like, you know, I'm afraid you're going to get punchy. And he's like, oh, don't worry about me. He's like, I'm going to be all right. Then we had the famous fight against Chuck. Oh, he doesn't Chuck say punchy. Lett. He says, I hear you know, going uh, queer street. Going to be, uh, you, and he's like, oh, queer you mean street, this yeah. queer street? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he just kind of makes a joke about it. But I just thought it was also, you know, a foreshadowing, too. It's like we see as this documentary progresses, you see, because it's in his own voice, you see his voice start to slow down. Uh, and it looked like his brain too. Uh, so then we see he's, he he fights Chuck Wepner. He wins. He's at forty six and two. And then we get Frazier. His fight with Frazier. His third fight with Frazier. Um, he talk. He, he got a great way of selling this fight. He he excuses the first loss as, you know, hey, I was at a big layoff. Uh, and he talks about how Frazier was never the true champ because. He came in after I left. 
Uh, and then he's like, I should have whooped him. I, you know, the only reason I didn't whoop him in the first fight was because um, I I was I had a long layoff. And the second fight, you know, I showed that. I whipped him. He's like, in this third fight, I'm going to show you what I should have done in the first fight. <laughs> so he sells this fight great. I don't think Frazier really did much to sell this one. But Ali, I think, sells it 100% himself. And uh, where mm-hmm. is this fight taking place? In Manila? Manila, Philippines, yeah. Yeah. So so he was... Uh, uh, Which, in my opinion, this is the greatest fight in heavyweight history. Uh, you can make an argument that it's the greatest fight in the history of boxing. This was a brutal fight. And Ali... Ali almost died. Yeah, and Ali showed his greatness because in the in rounds 13 and 14, near death, this is a, an aged fight. Ali at this point in time is 33 years old, has right. taken a ton of punishment in this fight, and in rounds 13 and 14, he's dead tired. He's landing combination after combination on Joe Frazier, and this shows the heart of Joe Frazier because he's blinded both eyes. Both his eyes are shut, and he's taking every punch and still throwing wild left hooks, even though He's got no shot in the world. He's taking a brutal beating. And Ali's doing everything he can to put him to sleep. And Frazier will not go down. Yeah, Frazier was... This dude was determined. And he hated Ali. So he's not going to fucking back down. He's not going to give up. No no moss from Frazier, man. Frazier's just like... But his corner throws in the towel. And he flush throws in the towel because he wants to save Frazier's life. And he did save Frazier's life. He throws Frazier out there for the 15th round. We don't know. It might be the first death in heavyweight championship history. Absolutely. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, so, uh, he was window, though. You saw uh, Ali after this. Uh, you do he's the, he's like, doing the interview. He's, he, yeah. he's totally, he, he, he's out of it. He's out of yeah. it. He said, this is the closest thing to death I've ever experienced. Yeah, he had to give us all in this shit. And it really, in a way, like, it solidified the fact that Joe Frazier was his most difficult opponent, right? I mean, without a doubt, all... without a doubt, without a doubt. So then we get to, um, he's talking about how he's, he's ready to retire. He's 33 years old, but then, um, he, though he keeps vowing to quit, um, He's he's fighting in 76 with uh, Jimmy Young. Uh, he's a little bit heavier now. He's like 230. And everybody's kind of questioning whether Ali really still has it. Um, he's then he, he's fighting Norton again. And he claims this is going to be his last fight. It's a very close fight. He wins. Uh, then he goes up against the uh, uh, Evangelista, and the guy goes the distance against Ali, which is considered to be, yeah, this, you know, this, this just this fight was a laughing stock of a fight. This fight was Ali was was fat and sloppy. Evangelista was a bum, and Ali danced and joked and shaked his ass for fifteen rounds. This was a, one of the worst fights in heavyweight boxing history, title history. Just horrible. Evangelista had no shot at winning, and Ali didn't even trade for this fight. I, they say he was 230. He looked more like 240, 245. He was, oh, my God, it was horrible. Yeah, this is like horrible fat, fight. fat Elvis Ali. This is Elvis <laughs> cocaine 
the, the the night he died. Yeah. But that's the thing, though. Ali always was pretty clean, right? I mean, he was never like a guy who was like drinking a lot or doing drugs, right? Ali Ali never picked up a cigarette, never picked up a drink. Forget drugs. Ali, the thing Ali loved to do the most was chocolate cake. He loved cakes. He loved he loved chocolate cake, and he would eat oh, a lot a of chocolate tooth. cake between fights. Yeah, he had a very big sweet tooth. He loved chocolate. That not only when it came to women, but food as well. He loved. Chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I know. He loved, you never saw him yeah. dating white women, right? Well, he and knew like, better. He knew first of all, he's a member of the Nation of Islam, so he's going to be ostracized by his religion. And second of all, he's Muhammad Ali. The most hated man in the world. He knew what happened with Jack Johnson. He's not going to fuck around and do that. All his children, married and out of wedlock, are from black women. <laughs> yeah, he always uh, seemed like he liked them. But now, when he, when he, um, we don't really get. But a if, much, imagine, uh, imagine in 1967 if Muhammad Ali started dating a white woman. He definitely would have gotten murdered. There would have been no kind of protection to stop to face him. <laughs> well, what's interesting is that we don't hear a lot about his loved one, right? We don't hear about a lot Antoine, about his... Antoine Fuqua and LeBron James made that a conscious decision because this is Ali talking. They didn't bring any relatives in to talk. You could do that would happen in a documentary where people are talking besides Ali. Ali's just talking. It's this Ali over the biggest events of his life, the, the the most famous parts of his life. So the personal life is left out of it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I remember that in most of the documentaries, like we don't see his wife or anything. Like it's just, they don't talk about it much. I don't hear, I haven't heard a lot about her. Do you know who his wife exactly. was? Well, he had, he had several wives, several. Ali okay. was married several times. Ali was married Sonia was his first wife. That was when he beat Liston both times. Then the nation told him, because she, she, she used to wear tight skirts and, and show off a big booty, and they didn't like that. And Ali didn't like that, so he divorced her. Then he married uh, Khadijah, who was a Muslim. Who, she was 17, and Ali went to, his, to, to her father and asked permission. He was like, oh, you're Muhammad Ali. Let's do the wedding today. <laughs> Because in, in Islam, you have That's to funny. ask the father for permission to marry the daughter. You just can't you, know, you can't do it on your own. And then they got divorced because during uh, the fight with Foreman, he met this actress named Veronica, who was who became who later on was the mother to Layla, and she oh, okay. was, out of all the women, she was the most drop dead gorgeous, the most beautiful all of them. Uh, he instantly fell in love with her, and he left his he left Khadijah for uh, Veronica. Then, after Veronica and him divorced, he married his fourth and final wife, Lonnie, who was his wife until the day he died. Okay. So then we see this after this fight with uh, Evangelista, people are questioning him. He he goes up against Ernie Shavers. He looks pretty winded. And the reporter straight up asked him, like, are you, you know, are you, are you admitting that you're over the hill? He's like, yeah, I'm this, old. This, I'm slow. Now, this was, this was the last semblance of Ali's greatness. Going into the 15th round, um, and Ali knew he had won the fight already because there was an experiment done. This fight was shown on NBC. 
And for the first, they did an experiment where they would show all three judges' scorecard after each round. It had never been done in boxing before. Dundee had a guy in the locker room with a walkie-talkie of telling Dundee after each round who was up, what the official scores were. So after 12 or 13 rounds, Ali had the fight in the bag. And so Dundee told Ali, all you got to do is survive, champ. The fight's yours. 15th round, Ali put on a show and almost knocked out Sheamus. The bell saved Sheamus. And Sheamus was out on his feet when the bell rang. But Sheamus gave Ali hell. Sheamus hit Ali with a right hand that Ali said was the closest thing to him seeing God that ever happened to him. It was a right. But he, he psyched Sheamus out. He was hurt, but he did the little play around like, like he was acting like he was right. He was hurt, so he he was actually fucking hurt. hurt. Yeah. Yeah, but and Sheamus was like, ah, uh, let me not take a chance. Sheamus left him off the hook because Ali psyched him out. <laughs> yeah. Ali played the whole like, oh, I'm all fucked up, but he was. It's, it's really he smart. was. He was because um, he do the little, the, the the exaggerated wiggle, but right. the, he was fucked. Uh, that was the, <laughs> there was never a more Brilliant. intelligent fighter in the history of boxing than Muhammad Ali. He knew how to yeah. get out of situations by using his wit. And, and but there's another one and, where you see the beating he's taking, and it's just it's sad. Oh, he took just, he took some severe punishment in this fight because Shavers. In the history of the heavyweight division, maybe the history of boxing, the history of boxing, the only guy that you could say is on Deontay Wilder's level when it comes to right hands is Ernie Shavers. Ernie Shavers had a right hand. They call it a holocaust. That's how bad that right hand was. And he almost killed Larry Holmes with it. Larry Holmes got up and won the fight, and he hurt Ali. And Holmes and Ali, two of the greatest chins in boxing history. That's how great that right hand was. Absolutely. So, so then we get this, uh, you know, the reporter asking him, and he's like, yeah, I'm getting old. I'm getting tired. What do you want me to say? So then they have him going up against Leon Spinks. Now, this, I don't know, this, to me, this looked like the inspiration that Sylvester Sloan used for Rocky Three when Mr. T, like, destroyed him, because fucking, but, but worst part of this was the ref, he should have stopped this fight, right? Like, Ali, took be- Ali took a severe beating in this fight. And funny thing is, I don't know what the judges were looking at. Spinks won by split decision. How the yeah. fuck you give Ali this fight? I gave Spinks the first nine rounds. Ali didn't start fighting to the tenth round. Ali but Ali, the I mean, they should have stopped rounds. the fight, right? They could have stopped oh, this yeah. fight in the fourth round. No, but I mean, Ali just... never showed signs of, of getting hurt. He didn't wobble. He just laid up against the ropes and took on Lacey's beating. Ali didn't yeah, get hurt in the, in the 15th round. Ali was tired trying to trying to come back, and he got hurt with seconds left in the fight, and the bell saved him. But don't you think in today's fighting, they would have oh, seen that many... Would, un... they, yeah, they, they would have stopped the fight. Today, right. they stopped the fight, yeah. Because they see all these unanswered shots. It's not about whether you're hurt. It's about... Hey, Logan, there time. were rounds in that fight that Ali didn't throw a single punch. He just laid he up got the hit, rope. Like, yeah, he got hit, yeah. And and fucking uh, Spinks was a hungry motherfucker in that fight. That's why I say he's like Mr. T in Rocky III. He, 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 like, he, he, he wasn't hungry. He was starving. He right. was fucking starving. <laughs> he's like, fuck this guy. And at this point... I mean, this is, we're talking about Elvis Muhammad Ali here, you know? I mean, it's just, 
this is not the guy you want to be putting up against Leon Spinks. Now, Leon Spinks in 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 the great of greats, where do you put him? Like he's not even the top twenty, right? He's not in the top 100. Uh, Spinks, <laughs> the worst thing ever happened. No, the, Spinks had a lot of talent. He was a gold medalist in the 76 Olympics. He beats Ali, and he fights the fight of his life. The worst thing that ever happened to Leon, to Leon Spinks was beating Ali because he got all this money, and he drowned himself in cocaine, and he never recovered. Second fight against Ali, he was high as a kite, got his ass kicked, and it went downhill from there. I mean, he was almost... If it wasn't for his brother, Michael, Leon would have been homeless by now. I mean, Leon. So he's he like the ultimate flash in the pan. Ultimate flash yeah. in the pan. Champion. Because of his, his his own doing. Uh, uh, career suicide because of his love of alcohol and cocaine. Wow. Well, anyway, so. Uh, so, yeah, so this. So he's. Then we have this. Uh, but this guy. I mean, talk about what a flash in the pan. This guy had a one-year career before fighting. Uh, yeah, because Ali Muhammad thought it was Ali. a safe opponent. Ali thought it was a safe opponent. Right. So uh, they, he's on Time Magazine. The greatest is gone. And it is. it really is like Elvis. Um, he's talking about his his new last fight. Uh, it's funny he's not, you say that. Because this is only this is only a few months after Elvis was found dead in in, in his bathtub. <laughs> He's talking on this interview, like I, you know, it's like I'm not tired. Like I'm in better shape than I was in last fight. You know, it's just like this guy is not in good shape. You can tell his voice is slowed down. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's talking about, but he's still like he's promising. I'm going to destroy Sphinx. Uh, and he wins. I mean, it's just, I guess you're right. He, he was fighting a drugged out Sphinx, but still, like, I didn't think if I had watched this interview, I'd be like, Sphinx is going to kill this guy. This guy's done. But he made it through. And, uh, and he, we see him giving a speech about how he's not going to go out crying like many. He's going to go out happy. Uh, and um, he's like, I'm getting out. It's been hell. And uh, then we see all the different works that he does after he quits. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And he, he fucking goes to Africa for Carter. He helps organize the boycott against the Russia in uh, Russia for the Olympics because of what they're doing in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and but then and then there's um, the uh, comes up. He decides. Are you going to fight Larry Holmes and become, what, a fourth fucking Your time fourth time champion? world champion. Yeah, yep, yeah. fourth time heavyweight champion, yeah. And, but it's interesting. He gives some talks about the Russia thing, and he talks about how the two people who head Russia and America are the two most powerful white men in the world. And he's like, when these two guys start fighting, like, all us black folk are going to have to get involved. So we got to stop these two guys from fighting. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, he he heads right back into boxing. Uh, Holmes, uh, Larry Holmes, who's fucking a monster at this point. Like you, nobody wants to get in the ring with this guy. I don't know what he's thinking. What what is he thinking? Money? It's money. They gave him. He was offered ten million dollars to fight uh, Larry Holmes, which was the highest price fight price uh, in the history of sports for one night. 
I don't even know if he could have beat Holmes in his prime. But, you know, like that's even a question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's a question because Holmes was a great fighter. I, you, yeah. could, you could make that argument, yeah. So it's like, this is like Elvis, you know, Elvis fucking Ali going in against this fucking prime Holmes. So, I mean, I think prime Holmes, like, might beat any given person in history, right? I mean, he's like Larry very Holmes underrated. In his prime, in, in, in Larry Holmes' prime, he could have beaten any of the all-time great heavyweights. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, Holmes was yeah. a real, he had all the tools. He had a tremendous jab. Tremendous right cross. I mean, incredible stamina. He could he could he could dance for fifteen rounds. Larry Holmes was probably the most underrated great fighter in the history of boxing. Period. Yeah. So you're going in with this guy, and he's uh, he, he's talking slow. He's just not looking good, and of course Holmes destroys fucking him and feels bad doing it. I mean, this is like when. Uh, Shawn Michaels kicked Ric Flair in the face, you know. <laughs> he was crying at the I end like of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's his <laughs> idol. Yeah. So you're looking at this and you're like, man, he's he feels bad. He he doesn't take anything away from Ali. Ali's the greatest fighter that ever lived. He gives him mad respect. Um, and and but we see what he, you know, he, we also see the punishment he gives fucking Ali. I mean, it's really bad. Uh, and he just, and then we see Ali against fucking Trevor Burbick, another guy who gives him a fucking beating from hell. Uh, and that's it for him. That's his final match, right? Yeah, final that's fight. his final fight. You know. So then he he frees some Iraqi hostages by, as you said earlier, about like uh, talking mm-hmm. to Saddam Hussein. Uh, he he goes. He talks about how he has Parkinson's and. Uh, we see Mandela, another guy he had influence with, uh, that he had had meetings with, become the president. Mm-hmm. So, in many ways, probably due to the publicity that Muhammad Ali gave him, um, you know. So Muhammad Ali, by through his name, is like he's now shaping world events. So exactly. he goes from just being a fighter to an ambassador to a point where he can get things done that no one else can. Exactly. Uh, like I and like. It's interesting. I'm sure if like Bush really wanted to negotiate with Iraq in the second Iraq war, like he could have even called on him then. Hey, like, hey, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a. You just brought up a great point. Nine eleven. When nine eleven happened, the week after nine eleven, all the all the national broad all the national broadcasts ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox had a telethon. Right for uh, uh for uh for to, to, to for a telethon for survivors for families of the victims and Muhammad Ali went on with Will Smith because at the time Will Smith was filming to play Muhammad Ali and Ali spoke in his broken Parkinson's and shaken about how not all Muslims are are, are evil this is not the Muslim way. Uh, I I do not condone what happened. This is Ali, and I mean, you couldn't ask for a better spokesperson for the Muslim people. Because remember, at this time, I mean, I remember a few, a couple of months after 9/11 happening, I was at 59th Street subway station with the four, five, and six subway station, 
and somebody stopped the train by saying there was a bomb on the train, and there was this uh, 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 Arab-looking fella, and the police grabbed him, grabbed the profile of him, and I felt sorry for the guy because, damn, how you know he had something to do with this? And it turned out to be a, a phony phone call, uh, a, a prank, uh, somebody bullshitting. So there was a lot of hostility towards Arab people, and Ali foresaw this, and he came out doing the 9-11 tribute and talked about this, about how all yeah. Muslim people are not, are not bad and I don't condone it. Muslim is a, uh, Islam is a peaceful religion, not a religion for, for, for bombers and terrorists. Right, right. So uh, he's, you know, he, we see um, that he helps deliver medical supplies to Cuba. Uh, and then we see an interview with um, the, uh, is this interview is named Bradley? Bradley, yeah. Ed Bradley, 60 Minutes, where they went to Cuba to meet Castro, and Ali was working with Castro. Look at all the world leaders Ali worked with. Fidel Castro, Nelson Mandela, Saddam Hussein, uh, Jimmy Carter, and Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. What other athlete or entertainer could say that? Yeah, and and Bradley presents him with a picture of himself standing over Sonny Liston. Like, it's his old life. And he's like, what, what is, he starts what's crying. going through your he head right crying. now? He starts crying. He gets up and goes. He starts crying. Because he can't talk. Yeah. Not Probably, that, right? He, he, that, I, I think it's because that's him at his greatest. And he, he is, just the can't. depression is setting in. That he just, he doesn't. He, he don't want to talk. Just like it's, he don't want to talk about Too it. Much. He don't want to talk about Too it. Too much. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I so, love the joke he, he I love the joke he did on Bradley where he fall him and his wife pull on Bradley where he falls asleep and starts throwing punches and she's like, Yeah, he's hit me a few times while we've been in bed. <laughs> no, he he says ever since Fraser in Manila, he's had this yeah. thing called, you know, this narcolepsy thing where yeah, he yeah. he falls asleep suddenly and then when he sometimes if you wake him up he'll punch you in the face. So be careful you don't yeah. wake him up. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and then he wakes up Pretending, yeah, that's funny. Uh, we see him lighting the flame for the 1986 Olympics. Oh, before you continue mm-hmm. that, I have this 60-minute segment on, on, on videotape, and Ali Ali was a magician. And Ali showed Fidel Castro and Ed Bradley some tricks, and Castro started laughing because he couldn't believe it. But then Ali, because his religion forbids it, would show how he would show the trick on how he made uh, 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 the, the uh, reveal how he would how he did the magic trick. But Ali could even levitate. And people were like, what? How do you do that? Ali was a master magician. <laughs> but he would always tell the people that he did the magic in front of how the trick was performed. Interesting. That's, uh, that's, I didn't know that about him. So hey, He uh, was a master of so many damn things. It's not funny. <laughs> I know. So in the, in the 1986 Olympics, he's lighting the flame. He's setting the. It's like a positive vibe for that. He still looks. You know, and you know what? Good you know what? This is prob- This is one of his greatest accomplishments, because he was so stricken, his body, his entire body had been taken over by Parkinson's. He couldn't stop shaking, but he was able to hold it to light the flame. Think of the chance these people are taking by him lighting the flame. He could have burned himself. He could have set the place on fire, but it's his will. The greatness within him that did not allow this to occur. Yeah. 
Uh, and and there's a quote from uh, they quote him saying a service to others is your rent to pay for a room in heaven. So exactly he definitely exactly. did that. Um, and so we get salute to him, man. Like this is this this documentary makes you want to cry, man. Like in many parts because especially when you see the beating that his great mind took unnecessarily, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it looked like no ref really wanted to ever announce a TKO on him. You know what I mean? He never mm-hmm. had, like, no one ever had to. Like, well, no, but they, uh, they never Dundee did. Stopped the fight. Dundee stopped the fight against uh, Holmes because the referee wouldn't stop it. Right, that's what I mean. So the refs, mm-hmm. they just always wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt because he was so great, but I think the refs, more than anyone yes. else, fucking killed they this did, guy. Yeah, they did, they did a disservice. Yes, they did. Anyway, they didn't want so, to be the guy that stopped the Nali fight. You're right. Right. And they ended up, they did that to Mike Tyson too a lot. And I thought that it was wrong there too. Uh, yeah, because every time Tyson lost, he got knocked out. He got counted out. No one stopped the fight while he was standing They should have, <laughs> yeah, like they should have stopped the Buster Douglas fight way before that. You know what I mean? Like it, the, all those fights where he got destroyed at Holyfield. He should have stopped that Holyfield fight, right? I mean, like, oh, a he long was taking time a severe beating. Yes, yes. So yes. And, they and, do and, that at the end of his at the end of his career when he when he got knocked out against Lennox Lewis. The referee would not stop that fight until right. he was blunted. Should have stopped it. Should have stopped it. You got to protect these guys against their own like pride, really. Greatness. Not just yeah, their chin. It's their it's their greatness, their heart that's holding them up. Right. But you're just like you're. They're not going to back down. It's so stupid, man. Like when you're old and you're like, what does it matter that you were lasting two more fucking rounds, man? It doesn't. <laughs> it does. No, that's two more rounds of punishment to your brain. <laughs> yeah. It's like two more, like twenty more years of your life, maybe. Take it off your rounds. life. Well, but Ali lived till he was seventy-four. So I mean, it's not like he. But not well. But he was. No, yeah. he. I mean, he lived right. better than most people, but. Not the way he wanted to, as far as speaking. Yeah, I mean, he's still for a man about, that was. Yeah, I mean, for a man who was stricken inside. with. Po- oh yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Like a lot of people think he actually became retarded, but like he actually was just as smart. You cannot be. You cannot be mentally deficient and do what he did in his after fight in his post fight career. Right. All right, man. So I think we can wrap it up here. Uh, we went a long time. Thanks for sticking it out with us. But uh, we got it all here. So good, good work, One Silver, with all your memories adding to this because you filled in a lot of detail that's not in the documentary. So I thank mm-hmm. you for that. And uh, we'll be back uh, next time. What, what, do you, what do we got next? Uh, next week on the boxing, we go back to his performances. Meldrick Taylor, far as the movie show goes, we're going back to greatest shows in television history. And the greatest show this year, a miniseries that will anger, that has angered a lot of people, when they see it on Netflix, and it's going to be a two-parter because it'll go on too far because it's a four-part miniseries. Next week, we'll be talking about parts one and two. It's on Netflix. When they see us, the, okay. the, the story of the worst, the worst conviction of five young men, the Central Park Five, that's probably happened in the, in the, in the last 40 years. I mean, these men were wrongfully convicted. 
And it took an act of God for them to get their convictions overturned. When they see us on Netflix, it's a four-part miniseries. We'll be doing parts one and two next week and parts three and four the week after. Uh, when you watch it with your wife, Logan, uh, have the have the handkerchiefs ready. I don't think she's I don't think she's gonna be able to watch it, but because uh, she's it already fucks with her too much. But we'll see. I'd recommend you watch it with her. I mean, okay. uh, man, this you haven't watched right. it yet, huh? Not yet. No. I, uh, I know the story yeah. though. It's you know the story, like too but painful it's, to watch. It is yeah, very man. And my girlfriend kept bugging me because my girlfriend watched it without me. And she kept texting me every 10 minutes. I'm crying. I wish you would watch this with me. I watched part one Monday, uh, Friday night, and I watched part two right before you called me for this episode. Wow. Yeah. And the acting in this right. is, 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 is ridiculous. So, yeah, those ones will be ne- ne- next week. We'll be looking at those. What's the name of that? Belgian Taylor. When They See Us on Netflix. When They See Us. Next movie we'll be reviewing on this show. Yeah. Which All will right, be thanks. the greatest shows in television history since the miniseries. Okay, man. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll talk to you later, man. Peace. See you next week, big man. Later. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.